0: Greet each one of you in Christ's name this morning. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Our Lord, this morning we thank you that we can look forward to that song that we just sang of I'll be there. And it's only because of what you have done for us, what you have given us, how you've led us, directed us, cared for us, forgiven us, forgiven us, and forgiven me again. And have kept me on the straight and narrow way, Lord. Looking forward to that day when we can be with you in glory. And so, this morning, as we come before you again one more time, we thank you for this opportunity. And we pray that you would just that Satan, through the name of Jesus, that you would be bound in his shed blood. And God, we commit that binding to you. But don't allow Satan or any of his evil forces, spirits, or powers hinder us in any way here this morning. That your name could proclaim its truth and could take root in our hearts that it could grow and bring forth one hundredfold for your kingdom and your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul asked me last Sunday if I would preach for him today, and I said I would, and so this week I was praying and seeking what God would have for us, for me and, and uh, had an example or had a situation on my job Friday that embarrassed me, I guess, or humbled me or convicted me, and I just felt that's where God wanted the message to go today. I was on a job site delivering metal east of, southeast of Warsaw, and if you know right now, the last thing you want to do is get your truck on off the drive. You don't want to get those wheels off something solid because you're going to stay there. And I was, that was kind of a hard spot to get into, but I finally got backed into where I needed to go and was in the process of getting my metal off the trailer. And I seen this fancy car drive in out oh no the homeowner's going to show up and he's going to tell me that's not where he wants it and i had it about half off already and then i seen this man get out with a suit and it just hit me wrong because i figured i knew who it was well sure enough it was a jehovah's witness and he came over there and shook my hand and asked if i'm the homeowner and i said no i said i'm just an employee delivering metal well, he kept right on going, you know, that made no difference to him. It was somebody to talk to, I guess, somebody to get a points from. And, and I, was fair, I was quite curt with him. And he started in on, you know, the differences of belief. And, and, and I, I had told him probably the right things, but not in the right tone of voice, that I'm a believer, I believe in the Jesus Christ, that he shed his blood for me, and it's through him that I have salvation. Yes, but you know, he said, uh, he went on about Adam, you know, how how if Adam would not have sinned, this world would be perfect. And I said, well, if Adam wouldn't have sinned, I'm sure I would have. Well, how do you know that? I said, well, I know myself too well, but you don't know that. And it got to where I I finally told him, well, I need to do my job. I need to move on. And I, I didn't, afterward, I felt like, you know, I really didn't give that man anything to look forward to anything different. To him is another confrontation. To him is another argument one. That he walked away and I walked away. And looking at that, then I had to wonder as, as the day went on, why, do I, why did I react to him? What was about meeting him that I didn't want to meet him? Yes, it's true. We're not serving the same God. They, and I'll leave that at that. But why would I have not cared about that, maybe even more so than if had I been having a discussion with a Methodist man or a Baptist man? Why would that not have moved my heart more? I know my employer wouldn't have cared had I taken another 15 minutes and discussed the word of God with him more fully. Well, is, that, is that the bottom line then? Did I not care? Do I not care where he will spend eternity? Now, I know Christ said, and we read it different places, and we'll look at a few of those verses later, you know, that don't cast your pearls before the swine, and I think there's, there's truth to that, or, God, or Christ wouldn't have spoken it. There's some other examples. But I wonder if the bottom line is, I really don't care about the person. And then I was thinking about the topic that Brother Leon had shared, maybe even a couple years ago, I'm not sure, where you had been somewhere to some classes, and, and how that 80% of the youth that are raised in Christian homes move on. This is a nominal a nominal statistic. May not be for the Beachy churches, but but it might be closer to not it might be more truth to that than we want to admit. But that those that are raised in a fundamental Christian home just drift on. They just move on. They don't stay here. And then I was wondering, well, what, are, what am I doing? What are we doing as a church, a collected church here at Maple Lawn? What are we doing as a collected body of constituencies? What am I doing to make this the place where someone wants to be? And I'm not talking about about just letting go and letting everything. I'm not talking about that. And I don't think that that's what people expect. But what is it that, that, is, that is taking place that... that Outside, I know we're in a battle. I know we're fighting against the powers of this world, the prince of this world. And I know he's not going to sit down. He's not going to give up. He's not going to say, well, I worked there for 40, 50 years, and they're still worshiping, so I'm going to have to give up on that church. No, that's not Satan. But turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look here a little bit of what, what Paul, again, is sharing with us. He says, I there the first let's look at the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter four. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of our calling, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Now, let's just do a little bit of a word study here. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Now, I understand I don't think Paul was in prison at this time. Well, what does he mean by being a prisoner of the Lord? Well, I think he just felt like he was, I, I imagine Paul saying that I'm chained to my Savior. In other words, I want what God wants. I want what Jesus wants. And where Jesus wants me to be is where I want to be. It's like someone was saying one time that, you know, if, if there is, if, 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 you 're struggling in life, just think of Christ being on your back like a movie camera would be, and he 's videoing everywhere you go everything you do is recorded. It's not hard to say no, then is it you know that's that's the, the, the idea of that. just say no now Paul here is saying that, that i 'm a prisoner of the Lord, in other words I, am, I have decided that this is who i 'm going, going to serve. I am locked in on this with this person. He says, "I beseech you, or in other words, I beg you or I invoke you or I desire." That you walk worthy, or that that your walk, that that your walk at large, or your life, or what you're occupied with, is worthy, or is appropriately as or as becometh a godly sort. And that's the title of my message: is walking worthy, walking worthy of our calling. Am I walking worthy of the calling that was given me? Wherewith ye are called, he says. In other words, we are invited, or we are now that vocation. A vocation is something that you give yourself to. It may be, you know, if you talk about vocational schools, it's something that is, that you have made a choice to go there. And then he says that you're called, or you have now been, this has not been put forth to you. Then he says, with all lowliness and meekness and long su- with long suffering. Now let's look at those words. With all lowliness, or that means modesty, or it means humbleness of mind. And we were talking about that in our Sunday school class this morning. How Paul approached the Roman church. There he he humbled himself. He didn't come there and say, Now, you know, I am the leader of the apostles. I am the one that has established the most churches. And it would do, you would do well if you would let me come to your church and give you some instructions as how to do church planning. That's not what Paul did. But he humbled himself and he considered himself saved just right with them. Just like they are. Believers like they are. Sinners like they were. Those that wanted to be like Christ. In all lowliness of mind, he says... Or he says here, in, with lowliness and meekness. Now, we, we consider Moses, we hear that Moses, you know, was the meekest man on earth or that that's how the Bible gives it to him. Well, what is meekness? Well, meekness is humility or it's gentleness. In other words, if I'd have been a meek person Friday, I, I could have sat down on the edge of the trail and I could have shared with that brother like I would wanted to have shared with him. Or I should have, maybe I should say. I probably did what I wanted to do, if I'm honest. But I could have shared with him... How would Paul have done it? What would Paul have said to a man like that? What would you have said to a man like that? Now, I know here some a couple of months, maybe a month ago, there was some Jehovah's Witness showed up at our door at home and, and, and she started in talking to me and she said, oh, you believe like the Mennonites down the road. I said, well, I think we do. <laughs> she had, must have been there first and she knew what they believe. So, you know, it's... it's I don't know. Had I really had a vision and a burden, I believe that I have to honestly admit to this, would I really have had a vision and a burden for that man Friday, I'd have handled it differently. Now, I I think we need to be careful because that is a false religion. That is a cult. And that we don't get involved to where we are convinced of their gainsaying. But I think we do have an opportunity to try and draw them back out of where they are, and you know we tend—I like to—we tend to j- jump on those scriptures. You know, don't cast your pearls before the swine, or you know, have nothing to do with them. And there's there's a time for that. That's why those scriptures are in in the Bible. But I wonder what Paul is saying here. He says with all lowliness and meekness. You know what brother Paul used to what Paul used to do here when he was confronted. Remember, he read back in the book of Acts. What did he do? He would say, well, brethren, or he would say, well, men, this is who I was, this is who I am, and this is why I am who I am. He would always share his testimony, maybe I shouldn't say always, but he would share his testimony, and they couldn't argue with that. They couldn't argue with that. Once I was blind, but now I see. What is a long-suffering person? It's one that's patient. One that is forbearance. What is forbearing? One that puts up with or bears with. Notice what he says there in all lowliness and meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. In love, that affection that we would like to all enjoy, that we all want to enjoy, that we all need. We are made creatures that need love. You know you, you i don 't you hear stories or you hear articles or you read articles where people where they have made a study of babies and they have put one baby in taking two babies and the one they just smothered with love and the other and they just left in its crib, fed it, took care of it, dressed it, everything like it should have been the one progressed the other and regressed in other words, God has created us not to be nomads, not to be Individualists that have nothing to do with this world. There are people out there like that, but that's because they're a hurting person and they're, 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 conce- they're confused in what they believe and what what they find and they just don't want anything to do with anybody. We have a neighbor like that. He says, I don't like people. End of sentence. I don't like people. Now, one-on-one, he's a friendly man and he would do anything to protect you. And our son has been able to be a real, uh, spends quite a bit of time with him. Not in a bad way, but just, I think he ministers to him. And, and, but he's just a man, he doesn't like people. Now, why doesn't he like people? Well, I'm not sure that he can honestly say that, but that's how he says it. But, you know, I could write him often. I could say, well, that man, there's no use spending time with him. But, you know, the truth of it is, that man has a soul. And I don't believe he's ready to meet his Lord according to his conversation. Paul is saying here, he says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring means to make effort or or to be diligent or to labor for. To keep that or to you know to keep that or is to, to keep that in our presence, and that unity is oneness. And the Spirit, of course, is the Holy Spirit because it's a capital S. Now You notice there he says "a unity of the Spirit. You can reverse those words, and it has a complete different meaning. Now, not with a capital S, but with a small s. If you have spirit of unity, that's what we're reading about today in the news. Different countries and in the U.S. There's a spirit of unity out there that moves people and drives them to multitudes of demonstrations. But that's not what he's speaking of here. He's speaking of the unity of the Spirit. In other words, we are one with God. And how can I be one with God if I don't care about you? How can I be one with God if I don't love the person beside me? And even though he might be, maybe I don't have anything to do with him because he is a lost, or because of, not lost, but because of his his doctrine that I don't want to be involved with. doesn't mean that I don't love him. And look for that opportunity to be of a witness for him, because in, invariably those type of people, as they... As they come to the end of life or somewhere in their life, they meet a a wall that brings them to reality that opens a door, that cracks the window for us to share what God has for us to share. And we look for that and we pray for that. You know, Paul was saying there in the book of Romans that he prayed for those individuals. And we were talking about that in Sunday school class. Paul writes that in quite a few of the books. When he opens a book to another, another church, that I pray for you daily. Now, with all the people that Paul knew, if he prayed for them by name, that was quite a list. But there is a blessing in praying for people by name. There is a blessing in that. You know, if I'm tired in the evening, I can pray for our children. I can do a blanket prayer, catch all of them at once. But it doesn't do what it does when we pray for them individually. When you pray for them by name, it just brings about a different burden, a different concern, a different blessing. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit or that oneness with God in the bond of peace. Peace means prosperity, quietness, or set at one again. You know, back in the Old Testament, when when Solomon became king, it says the land had peace forty years, or had rest forty years. In other words, there was no war, there was no turmoil. It was just prosperity. It was, it was, everything was going well for them. That's what I picture when we think of peace. Just everything is going okay. Everything is going the way we think it should go. We're moving ahead. We're, we're, we're being victorious. We're, we're enjoying life. Then he says in verse four. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all, through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Well, Webster's gives the word love. I looked I decided. Well, let's look again at the word of love, the word love. And Webster's gives it as this is in the physical sense. Most of these examples, strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties, warm attachment, enthusiasm or devotion, the object or attachment, admiration, unselfish, loyal and benevolent concern for the goal of for the good of another. Now he's getting more than just the fuzzy feelings here. Now he's going into a deeper relationship. Let me read that again unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. It's not a, I love you, you love me. In other words, it's a one, we're thinking more one way. The fatherly concern of God for, huma- for humankind. Now we're getting into the agape love or the godly love. Then he says, brotherly concern for others. And the word benevolence means the disposition to do good and act of Kindness. And so I was thinking of that now, that situation Friday for me. Did I, was that an opportunity that I used for good? Was that an act of kindness? Did I show anything to that man that would have given him a thought? I wonder if I want what he's got. Or did he feel like I can chalk that one off on my report card? At least I witnessed to him. I wanted to give him some literature. He didn't take it, but I could have. Now let's go into the book of Titus in in chapter 3. And I've shared this before here, but you know that I read some years ago that that the 75% of the people that join in a cult don't join because of what that cult believes. But they join because they feel welcome there. They feel wanted there. That's why people join a gang. At least I now I belong. Now I'm one of them. I can do what they do. I can now be that. They, and they may have to go through some, some pretty... Uh, Nasty things to become a member. For some gangs, that means to kill someone. And they're willing to do that to be accepted. Now, we don't require that of someone to be accepted here. But we can love them. But we can kill them with how we treat them, to where they say, you know, I don't want to be there. In Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, now we're looking at the other side of this fence, like I mentioned earlier. The man that is isn't heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Now, I could have said that man yesterday, that man Friday was a heretic because a heretic is one who dissents from the accepted belief of doctrine. And he would have. He was, he was dissenting from that. You know, he kept wanting to go to this scripture or to that scripture that about the end time and all of that. Then he says reject such a person. And to reject is to shun, avoid, but then it also says entreat but it also says entreat is also what inject, reject means. In other words, to care about such a person. He says in verse 11, knowing that he that, is of su- he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Now, does that mean there is no hope for such a person? He's not talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about once lost, always lost. So does that mean that I can write that person off? And so then that brings me to that question and is it do I do I make a difference with who I love? You know it's easy to love someone that loves you or it's easy to be nice to someone that's nice to you but not turn the face around what about the person that's not nice to you? What about the person that doesn't care about you? Well why would Jesus have loved me then? I wasn't nice to him. I didn't care about him. But he still cared about me. He was still long-suffering with me. He was still forbearing with me. He still wanted me to be a part of his kingdom. Recently, I was listening, and I'm taking a different direction here now, maybe in the message, and I, and I would like some input in this after the message. But recently, I was listening to some CDs of the Old Testament reading. And, and, and I enjoyed the, the, the individual that does the reading, he he puts feeling into his reading. It's not just monotone, but he puts feeling into it. He quiets down, he raises his voice. And I noticed there's something that caught my attention, and that is when, when he would come to a part where God became angry with the people, he would he would thunder. I mean he would really put it on, like like we would hear when someone is angry. And I had to wonder, is that really what is that really how God spake? You know, he tells us like the example of the when the children of Israel didn't want to go into the promised land because you know, the ten spies said, no, we can't make it, and God was wroth, and he says he's going to, he's going to wipe out these people, and he's going to make a nation out of, out of Moses. How do you think God talked? Did he just hammer down, to mean angry, one of the meanings of anger is to breathe hard. And I found that interesting. But you know, when you're angry, you, you, you start your... your uh, your heart rate changes. And when your heart rate changes, so does your breath. Now, I can't... I, I Here's where I'm at, I guess, on this. I can't imagine, even though God was angry, and Moses even said, because of God's anger, I can't go in. And it's because of you that I sinned that I did what I did. He was kind of reluctant to accept the blame, maybe. But I, I just don't imagine God as being in, uh, a, 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 a loud boisterous voice when he became angry. Because let me ask it this way. Well, the word wrath means to crack off. In other words, like you're really upset, burst out in rage, displease or fret self. And I wonder maybe if that's what God was doing. It just hurt him. It just pained him. I don't know what the voice of God was when he was angry. But I can't imagine Jesus, like when they are the example that we have, when he made the whip and he was cleansing the temple, that he went after them with vengeance. It says he overthrew the money changers. He cast them out. I know it says that. But I can't imagine Jesus as being red-faced, blowing hard, Swinging his whip and hitting wherever, whatever, whoever was in his way. Just really letting him have it. And I would would invite your input into that. And I guess the reason I'm going there is that maybe why then we justify our actions. Why I justify my action in getting curt, short, or hot with someone. Well, after all, you know, I have these scriptures to back me up. I just don't imagine my Jesus walking around red faced, just steaming and blowing off like we do when we we're angry. Because, because, here's the reason that according to the Word of God, when I become angry, who's in charge? And my anger doesn't come from God. Righteous indignation, yes, that's a different subject. And that's not righteous indignation 99.99% of the time when we become angry. We might want to feel that it is. But I wonder, have I given ground to Satan again that, he, that has allowed him to, to do that? Because anger is not from God. Anger is not from God. Let's go back into Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 12, 12 and 13 of Hebrews chapter 3. Take heed brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I worked with a man at one time that he, he took this very seriously and he was a believer, a fine or, or godly man. but he would he would take this to the point to where he would agitate people. He, he would, he would he would confront people with questions, In a in a kind of a a loud voice, in not in not in the kind and loving way, but just in a way that you could see that it worked on people. It worked on them in the wrong way. Well, he says the Bible says you know we're to exhort one another, we're to admonish each other, we're to we're to be there. You know, and that word exhort means to to, you know to get after them. Well, but. the Greek word means to call near, to invite, to beseech, and to comfort. And so now if I read it like that, he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another, or in other words, call near, or invite one another, or beseech one another, or comfort one another, he says, daily, while it is called today. So now that puts a different connotation as to how I would, how I would approach someone. You go on over into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and not and so much the more as you see the day of approaching, in other words, do I really have a burden and a concern for you? Do you really have a burden and a concern for me? Do you really want to encourage me do you really do I really want to see you prosper in your spiritual life? I think that 's exhorting I think that's being that 's why we care for each other that 's being long suffering that 's endeavoring that 's the one that is, that is that is there for that person. Proverbs 12:25 says, "Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, and we've all had heavy hearts, where we felt like no one cared, the world doesn't care, and it's just more than we can carry. But notice what the rest of that verse is, but a good word maketh it glad. But a good word maketh it glad. Here a while the other couple of weeks ago my employer wrote on my paycheck he says keep up the good work. He could have just just a small comment like that can mean so much to you. He noticed, you know, he wants he he appreciates what you're doing and he wants me to continue. Hallie's Bible handbook says all of us need encouragement. We need it to become all that God intended us to be. Now, what is encouragement? How do we encourage someone? By telling them how stupid they are. Recently, and it says mom and dad, so you know where that comes from. Or at least you have a 25% chance of being right. It says like this, through the years, there have been many things I've been grateful for, the memories we've made, the laughter we've shared, the encouragement you've given, but most of all, I'm thankful for the love that each of us holds in our hearts for each other, and for the Lord, that is a blessing that cannot be measured now now you are you are you hearing what's said in that in that statement, not because my child sent us this card, but it says most of all, I am thankful for the love that each of us holds. In other words, we're joint. That each of us holds in our hearts for each other and for the Lord. That is a blessing that can't be measured. So on this day and always, know that you are thought of with love and gratitude for all you mean to me. So see, it doesn't love doesn't need to be some eloquent speech that I make. But love is my life in action. That's why I think love is so important. And I wonder, and I wonder, and I'm not in general. I'm talking this very general, and I mean this. This is how I mean it. Let's just keep it in the Mennonite circles. Is that why we have this? Do we really love each other? Do we really care for each other? If we, I think if we really did, people would want to be doing this. If we really cared for each other. Go back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. A verse that we know by heart. Ephesians 4.32 And Paul had given them some examples here of what love is and what love isn't. But then he says in verse 32, And be ye kind one to another. Be ye kind, or be ye useful, or be ye easy, or be ye good, or be ye gracious one to another, tender hearted, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so now I'm wondering is that the key? Is that the key that, that is causing me not to love? Because if I am bitter, if I don't forgive, I will become bitter. If I don't forgive whatever or whoever. It can be me, it can be you, it can be God, it can be circumstances, it can be whatever. If I don't forgive, I will become bitter. And if I become bitter, the next step in a settled bitterness is anger. And so now you have anger right under the surface. And so it looks okay, because until something touches that, that hurt, then then they change. Now all of a sudden the anger pops up. And... It'll become wrath, and it becomes, it goes on, and and we look at that in well, in verse thirty-one of of chapter four. Let all bitterness, let all anger. He has, he has here. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. Now we know what anger is. That's when I become angry, and wrath is that. Wrath means is just that it becomes fierce. There's more to it than just venting my, my steam. And then he says clamor is an outcry or it's a boisterous talk. It's when someone really starts, you know, things start happening, tools start flying, windows start breaking, that kind of thing. And evil speaking is is a culmination of that. It's just a blasphemous outburst of, of whatever. And, and, mal- and malice there then would mean that. That's why you read it in the papers where Someone shows up at the workforce with a gun and he takes out several people and then himself. That's, that's now the fulfillment. Now it has settled to become an ingrown determination. I'm going to pay, but there's others going to pay with me. I'm not the only one that's going to suffer like this. I'm going to take others out also. That are. And so then, then that's the culmination. All of that because of bitterness. All of that because of unforgiveness. All of that is because I'm not willing to say, I release you. Now, that to me then is the bottom line of of love because you notice what he says in the bottom of verse verse 32. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, Jesus wouldn't have had to forgive me. He wouldn't have had to forgive me the first time and he wouldn't have had to forgive me for the millionth time or however many times I've had to ask him to forgive me. Whatever that amount is, he wouldn't have had to forgive me, but he did because he loved me. And so that then sets the record free. Now he doesn't, have any, he doesn't have any animosity against me, because the Bible also tells me that he has forgotten my sins. Once he has forgiven me, he has forgotten them. Now you and I can't do that, but the world but God can. But we can forgive, we can release, we can set free. That pain is no longer that, 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 that burden that was there is no longer there. We can now let it go. We can let it go. Because if not, that bitterness will continue to feed. And when I'm bitter, I will not be a loving person. I can do loving things, but I will not be a loving person. There will be times when I will do things that I will be... Why did I do that? Why didn't I take time with that man Friday? Why whatever it might be? Because remember, a hurting heart will hurt others. And so that that then is the outcome of that. Because I'm hurting and you touch that that button of pain, you're going to hurt, either verbally or physically. Whenever you touch somebody's pain button, you will, you will feel a response. And that's why you wonder, what did I do that he responded like that? That's what happened. It, maybe it wasn't intentional. But always take that and remember that, that when someone responds irrationally, there's something there that drives that. Because that's, that's not from God. That's not from God. It can be guilt. Unconfessed sin can do that very same thing. Unconfessed sin will, will cause me to become anger because of the guilt. And so when something reminds me of my sin, it's whew, right there it is. And you, what happened there? So now let's go back into First Corinthians again. And in chapter 13, the love chapter. You know, I would have liked to have said, no, let me back up. After the fact, when I was in the truck this weekend, I was thinking, well, you know, I should have sat down and asked that man, well, what what would I have asked him? Now, I know I needed to be careful because they're not there to ask you for how you believe. They're there to tell you what they believe. But there's four steps that will open a heart. And the first step is to listen. You know, if I ask my wife, well, what what, did, what happened that upset you so today? And she said, well, it's because you, you know... Okay, now I have an opportunity. I can say, well, no, that wasn't why. Okay, I've locked her back down. I'm gonna sh- I've shut her back down. But if I listen, I can hear what caused the hurt. Or I can hear what's causing someone else's hurt. And so then I understand. In other words, I comment by asking, well, is this what you meant? And then I agree with well I understand what you're saying. That's not saying we're agreeing with what all's happening, but you're just agreeing with where that person's at. And then you can offer, but this is what I think we could do to solve this. And that's what you look at First Corinthians 13. Now let's just go down through there. He says there in the first couple verses, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, I am nothing, as sounding brass, or I, I am become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all, have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Now we could put Paul there. We could look at the Apostle Paul. That man had something, what should I say, or could I say going for him, even before his conversion. But after his conversion, that man loved his Lord. And because he loved his Lord, he was willing, he was willing to bring those that were unsaved to salvation. But had he not loved them, he would not have been able to do that. And then that's what we're reading in the first seven verses there of, the, of Romans 1 this morning. Is because he was, he was one with them. He's he seen that. I'm, he was telling them, I'm no better than you are, but we're in this together. So now you're ready to pick up and go with a man like that because you're in this together. He says in verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, let's look at 16 points here that, that love does. And I'm going to read down through the, some of the notes that I have here. Charity suffereth long. In other words, it's forbearing. It's patient. Charity is kind. It shows oneself useful. Charity envieth not. it doesn't cover. It doesn't covet or desire. Charity vaunteth not itself. It doesn't brag. It's not rash. Charity is not puffed up. It's not a proud person. Charity is not proud. Charity doesn't behave itself unseemly. It does nothing out of place or character. Charity seeketh not her own, neglects its own for the sake of others. Charity isn't easily provoked or irritated or bitter. Anger cannot rest in the bosom where love reigns. Charity thinketh no evil. Or we could say is not vengeful. It doesn't suspect evil in others. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. It wishes no ill on anyone. It doesn't rejoice in doing harm or mischief. Charity rejoiceth in truth. Anything opposite of falsehood. Charity beareth all things, or it covers all things, or it contains what it hears. It believeth all things, giving the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't go by by hearsay. It hopeth all things, hoping for the best in you. It endureth all things. It never gives up. It accepts anything with God's help. And it never faileth. In other words, it's lasting. It'll always be there. We know it will be there the next time we need it. Halley says this, an undying expression of Jesus' doctrine of heavenly love is this. More potent for the building of the church than any or all of the various manifestations of God's power. Love is the church's most effective weapon. Love, without it, all the various gifts are of no avail. Love, it's God's nature. We study that in 1 John. Love, the perfection of human character. And love, the most powerful, ultimate force in the universe. Am I willing to love others as God has loved me? Let's kneel for prayer. Lord, as we come to this time of the service again, you again reminded me that because of selfishness, because of pride, because of hurts, because of pain, Whatever the reasons are, Lord, then that it causes me not to care, not to love, not to reach out, not to be concerned, not to be burdened for those around me, but I become self-focused, center-focused. But Lord, when we give it all back to You, then I become other-focused. Then I'm I'm concerned about others. Then I want others to be the beneficiary of what I enjoy. I have a care and a concern and a burden for others. And Lord, I just pray this morning that You would help me to not forget that so soon to not lose sight of that burden and that vision so soon, but to allow you to use me however you see fit to the building of your kingdom. But we understand that that's not through anger, it's not through wrath, it's not through malice, but it's through love, it's through long-suffering, it's through forbearance, it's through kindness, it's through the, the fruits of the Spirit, as you mentioned them for us, that we become that, that it's because of who is ruling within is what is coming forth without. We pray for your guidance and direction and blessing on the remainder of this service on this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.